Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. Uh, great to have you all here today. Uh, we're in 1 John, so if you want to open your Bible, get it open to 1 John chapter 2. You know, we're all here this morning, and many of us have come from different areas of the country, perhaps different areas of the world. Uh, we're going to have some guests here from, from China this morning. And um, no matter where you're from, no matter what your native language uh, is, no matter what religious background you've come from, there is one thing, without a doubt, every, everybody here has in common this one thing, and that is all of us want to live and have a truly satisfying life. Everyone, truly satisfying life. We want to have a real degree of significance about our lives, and we want our lives to be filled with joy. Now, Jesus used a certain term to describe that scenario. He used the term fruitfulness. And so today we're going to look at what it means to abide in Christ. And it's my prayer is that we connect these two, fruitfulness and abiding in Christ, we'll be able to understand what does it take to really have a truly significant and uh, meaningful, satisfying, joyful life. So the passage today, I'm just going to say it up front, it's a pretty difficult passage. There's some pretty difficult terms within this passage. They're very confrontational, so to speak. They make us examine our hearts. But so he describes these two different groups of people in this passage. There are those who do abide in Christ, and there are those who, who don't. Uh, there are those who have God as their father, and then there are those who don't have God as their father. Uh, there are those who... Uh, he will use the term practice righteousness, and there are those who, who don't, who practice, and he uses this term three times, they practice sinning three times. So there's quite a comparison and contrast within uh, this passage, but throughout the entire book, John wants to do uh, three things. His purpose is to do three things, and that is to give assurance to those who are abiding in Christ, who know Christ, but then also to issue a warning, a caution flag, so to speak, to those who think they might be, but who really aren't, some tests to take to examine themselves. And then the third thing is he really does want to encourage us all in our walk uh, with Christ. What I'd like to do is to give you the thesis statement or the big idea of this passage, and it's this, because he'll, he'll incorporate the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Two times the second coming, followed by two times he'll talk about the first coming of Christ. He'll incorporate all of that in this message of encouragement. Here's the thesis or the big idea. The fact of his first appearing and the hope of his second appearing are to be foundational to abiding in Christ and living fruitful, satisfying, holy, and you can add the word joyful, lives. So before I get into the future appearing, that's how he starts. He starts a couple of different times talking about the second coming of Christ and what it is to encourage us and motivate us. Uh, what I'd like to do is to talk, first of all, about what does it mean to abide in Christ. If we don't understand that term, which is used 22 times in the book of 1 John, we'll never understand the book of 1 John. 
Okay, so I, I need to spend a little bit of time here. We'll use about seven and a half minutes looking at what that means. And we're going to have to go back to the book of John because he wrote the book of John from Ephesus uh, right before he wrote first and second and third John. He uses abide in Christ over 40 times in all of the Johannine literature. He uses the word love, the only word that's used more, a, hundred, a little over 100 times. But only in, in 1 John it's used 22 times. So we have to understand it if we're going to understand the book of 1 John. It's critical to our understanding. And so what Jesus is doing, you can picture him in Ephesus, his, his home. He was actually he was living with uh, Polycarp. Uh, and Polycarp was a disciple of John. And Polycarp's disciple... Um, Let's see, was it Erasmus? I can't, let's see. Irenaeus. Irenaeus was one of the church founding fathers. He was a disciple of Polycarp. He said that John wrote the Gospel of John and the epistles from his home in Ephesus. It's up on a hill. You can visit it today, up on a hill. And he, as he looks down, he can see uh, the, the, the cattle. He can see the, the, the sheep farms and the herds. And he can see the vineyards. So he takes this example of a vineyard. He wants us to understand what does it mean to have a, a very satisfying uh, life, a life filled with joy. He wants, he wants us to understand that. So he's going to use this example out of John 15. This is where he exposits, so to speak, the term, and then he'll use it throughout the rest of his ministry. And he basically wants to tell us the secret to living a fully satisfying life. The secret to living is in fruit-bearing. He says, I'm the true vine. And he, he gives the example of God as a gardener, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. He's saying the secret to living a fully satisfying, joyful life is in fruit bearing. I'm the vine, the Father's a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So if the secret to living, having a fully satisfying, joyful life is in fruit-bearing, then what's the secret to fruit-bearing? And that's where he uses this term abiding. He says next, he said the secret uh, to fruit-bearing actually comes in abiding. And he uses the term in chapter 15, verse 4 of John, abide in me and I in you. He'll use it 40 times. Abide in me, and I in you. So the I in you is, is passive. In other words, this is our trust and dependence on uh, the vine. And uh, abiding in me is more active, and it, and it, it will underscore the, the, um, the uh, discipline that we're to have. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's using this word abide, meno. It's the word. It means to, to wait for, to remain, to continue in, to tarry. Uh, I would just say practically it just means to stay 100% connected to the vine. So then, if that's the key, if I really want to have a successful life, and the key to that 
is bearing fruit, and the key to bearing fruit is abiding, abiding, then how do I abide in the vine? And then Jesus goes on to say, well, the secret to abiding is really in obeying. Now, I'm going to say up front, I'm using the word, the secret to abiding is obeying, and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, that's works. You can't talk about works. Or, or that, that sounds so restrictive. It sounds so hard. It sounds so narrow. Just listen. The secret really to abiding is in obeying. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've told you this so, so that everybody listening, because I want you to make this connection between obeying and the next thing he's going to say. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. I have told you this. He's saying, this is the purpose I'm telling you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. So whenever you see or hear the word obey, don't think, oh, that's the law, that's works, don't have to do that, sounds so narrow, sounds so restrictive. No, it's so that you'll have joy. He says, I'm telling you this, that your joy may be in, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So how do I abide in Jesus' love? Well, I obey Jesus the very way Jesus obeyed God. Well, then why? Why would I want to obey Jesus the way Jesus obeyed God? And he gives us the reason. Because, catch it now, because joy is bound up in obedience. Now, let me set the stage. I don't know if you're catching it or not. Jesus, when he said this, knew he was going to the cross the very next day. Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross and die an extremely painful death. He, he knew the physical and emotional and spiritual torture he was going to go through. And yet, the very night before he goes to the cross, Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells his disciples, these things I'm telling you that my joy may be in you. I'm telling you this so that your joy may be complete. If joy then is bound up in obedience, then what, what's the secret to obeying? John goes on to say, well, the secret to obeying really is in loving. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You know, when Cheryl and I raised our six kids, you can see the steps. It's probably the same, with, not only the same with kids, it's the same with, with adults as we grow in Christ. We obey for different reasons. And I, I think if, if we hear the word obey and we think, oh, that's law, or oh, that's restrictive, or oh, that's bad, then we have an extremely shallow, shallow view of obedience. So when my kids were little, they had different motivations to obey. The first shallowest um, motivation to obey was, if I obey, I don't get spanked. 
So a lot of times, that's, as believers, we think, well, I better do what God says. If not, he'll strike me with a bolt of lightning or he'll make life miserable for me. I mean, that's about as shallow as it gets. That's not a good reason to obey. Now, when the kids start to grow up, it's more like, oh, I'll obey because when I obey, I'll get things. You know, my parents will let me go over to my friend's house. My parents will give me the allowance. My parents will do this for me or that for me. A um, little better. It's not at the very bottom, but it's not the reason John's getting to. No, when the kids finally get older, it's like, no, I obey because I absolutely love my mom and dad. I love them. I respect them, and I love them. And so the secret to obeying is loving. Well, then how are you going to love somebody? What's the secret of loving? The, the secret of loving is you've got to know the person before you love the person. And that's what John says. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Listen, now he says, For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made all of these things known to you. And then he begins to tell us what we should know about the Father. And that you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that's going to last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is the commandment. Love each other. You see, it's when we know God is when we will love God. And when we love God, then we're going to want, not out of works or obligation, we'll want to obey God. And it's when we obey is when we abide. And when we abide, then we bear fruit. And it is in fruit bearing that we experience a fully satisfying and joyful life. John uses this concept that he first expresses in the gospel throughout the book of 1 John. It's used 22 times, and if you don't get that understanding, you'll never understand the book of 1 John. So now let's look at this first great encouragement, which comes from the second coming of Christ. It's to give us motivation and confidence of him coming again. Our future hope brings confidence to abide in Christ in a relationship of love. So he begins in chapter 3. Um, he uses the word, I don't. Behold. Look. Uh, see. In other words, he's saying, what I'm going to say next should absolutely take your breath away. Because if you want to obey, you've got to obey. If you're going to obey, you've got to love. If you've got to love, you've got to know. And you say, I'm going to tell you something about God that's going to absolutely blow your mind. It's going to make you love him, which is going to make you want to obey him, which is going to make you want to abide in him more than anything in the world. Just behold, what, what kind of love the Father has given us that, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It's just this, this term of amazement of who we are in Christ. And the reason that the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know 
appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So he's saying the kind of love, this, this is a love that's absolutely unconditional. It's a love that is absolutely limitless. You don't need to try to be good enough in order to twist God's arm and get him to persuade him uh, to love us. No, we need to accept the fact that he already does as his children. When I get up in the morning, there are three words I say every single morning. I get up, I smile. When the alarm goes off, usually I'm up before the alarm, maybe one day out of 30, I don't. But, you know, I will smile, I'll stretch, and I'll say, God loves me. Every morning I say that. God loves me. Um, will you say that with me? God loves me. That doesn't, didn't sound convincing. Would you stand up? Every, everybody stand up. I want every single person standing up, and I want you to say those words aloud. God loves me. You know, even though I can't earn it, even though I might try, even though I, I might think I need to try and do things to please God, I need to remember that. Let's say it. God loves me. Even when I've sinned and even when I've gone my own way, even when I've done things I know I shouldn't do, I had better remember that God loves me. And there are a lot of things I'm gonna, I know I should do and I didn't, that I don't do. And I might feel guilty over those things. I had certainly better remember that God loves me. I need to understand there are times when I go through my life that certain things happen in my life and it causes confusion. I'm thinking, oh, gee, Lord, I, th I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. Why should I be walking through this path right now? When I'm going through those difficult times in life when it's hard to understand what's going on, I had better remember that God loves me. And I also better remember, I know that I'm supposed to forgive other people the same way Jesus has forgiven me. And a lot of times I'm, I don't do that. A lot of times I might hold grudges, and a lot of times I might wish somebody else ill will. But what I had better remember through the whole thing is that God loves me. And you can keep going. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, let me ask you this. How much of your activity is an expression of love for the Lord who loves you? How much of your activity is that? Or how much of your activity comes from a desire to either impress others or cause guilt or cause shame or selfishness or revenge. See, the only way we're going to lead and have a fulfilling, joyful life is if we bear fruit. The only way you're going to bear fruit is if you abide. The only way you're going to abide is unless you obey. The only way you're going to obey is if you really love. The only way you're going to love is until you really know. Notice how our future hope brings motivation to abide in Christ in a relationship of trust. Verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So, you know, knowing our future uh, gives us confidence 
But even though we have confidence knowing that he's going to come again, it certainly doesn't make us complacent, does it? I mean, you, you think of, here's Queen Elizabeth II, and uh, she's eventually going to be replaced. Eventually, I don't know when that's going to happen. But first in line is Prince Charles and Camilla. And then after Prince Charles and Camilla, you've got uh, Prince William and Kate. You know, they're all in line. But let me tell you, even though n neither one of those couples are really possessing their full inheritance now, they know what's coming. And in light of what is coming, uh, the lives of those two couples are dramatically influenced by the fact that eventually they're in line for the throne. That's exactly how knowing that Jesus is coming again should influence us. To me, the great picture, this time next, next week I'm going to be doing a wedding, a couple in the church and, um, in Des Moines. And I know what it's like. I, every time you see a wedding, you know, you see, you know, I might be standing up here and you've got the groom next to you. And for months, the bride has prepared for this moment to meet the groom, right? You, you've seen it. Uh, untold expense, uh, decorations. You know, there's the cake, there's the dressing, there's the planning. Uh, did I mention the expense? Uh, <laughs> Nothing was spared for that moment when the back doors open up and the bride, the spotless bride, comes forward to meet her groom. That's what John is talking about. That's the motivation that we should have. That's why twice in this passage he talks about Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. If there's anything that should encourage you, if there's anything that should encourage you uh, to, to use everything within your, your power uh, to get ready for it, this is it. The future hope of Jesus' return should motivate us to get ready in absolutely every single area of life. So we need to give ourselves. We need to dedicate ourselves. That's, there's the passive side of he abides in us where we trust and depend. There's the active side, the active side of, of, um, of uh, uh, dependence and, and uh, discipline where, you know, I'm going to discipline myself to get ready. I'm going to discipline myself to spend time in the Word, to go to worship. I'm going to discipline myself uh, to memorize Scripture. I'm going to discipline myself to fast and to pray and to, to do personal devotions and to be involved in community uh, with others and to share my faith. You know, knowing that He's going to come again, it should encourage me. Well, that's the first great encouragement, just the hope of Jesus first appearing. The second great encouragement is the fact of Jesus' past appearances, His first coming. And the fact of his first coming enables me now to abide in Christ. In other words, he does a couple of things here. In his first coming, he deals with our sins. Our sins are paid for, but then also he destroys or looses us from the devil's power, the devil's work. Those two things is what he underscores in the rest of this passage. So first of all, he deals with the problem of sin. He takes that problem away. Everyone, again, and, and this passage is not an easy passage uh, to read, much less preach, uh, because it's pretty in your face. It's pretty 
a pretty black and white passage. Hopefully I can explain it well. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, he'll use that phrase three times, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and to be, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Uh, did you see John's very clear definition of sin? You know, we'll, we'll say, well, sin is harmatia. It means to miss the mark. That's how we'll define it. Sin just means miss the mark. Uh, John doesn't let us off quite that easy. John makes a very clear definition of sin. He says, sin is lawlessness. In other words, um, John is saying rather than um, that lawlessness is the result of sin, he is saying, no, lawlessness is the very essence of sin. So John is beginning to do what we feel extremely uncomfortable with, and that is you know, dealing forthright with this whole concept of lawlessness. And so we would much rather camouflage sin than actually deal with it. And so we use euphemisms all the time. We'll, we'll, we would much rather talk about adultery than we would talk of, uh, than we would much rather talk about having an affair than we would talk about adultery. Or we would much rather uh, talk about uh, having a few too many drinks with friends than we would uh, prefer talking about drunkenness. Or we would much rather say, I made a few mistakes than I sinned against this person or I sinned against God. So rather than letting us get away with it and minimizing it, whenever we begin to minimize sin, what do we do? We minimize the gospel. So John won't let us get away from it. He doesn't want us to minimize the gospel. So John drives us to our knees by exposing the ugly reality of what sin is. It's active rebellion against God. That's what it is. So the first step in abiding in Christ is, is recognizing, first of all, the true nature of the wickedness of sin. Now I'm going to say something I said about three weeks ago or four weeks ago. And that is, God does not demand us to be sinless. I mean, that point was made in, in John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, the truth isn't even in us. Okay? He's not saying that, we, that he demands us to be sinless, but God absolutely demands transparency. He demands confession. He demands trust and repentance. So John reminds us of the gospel that he's coming, in, in his first coming, he is coming with the remedy for the problem of sin. He, he took our sins away. In verse 5, he says, you know that he appeared, this is his first appearance, you know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Only the spotless Lamb of God dying in our place could deal with this issue of our sin. 
So if you really want, and the question is this, if you really want a truly satisfying, joyful life, then the question is this, have my sins been taken away by Jesus Christ? That's what John is saying. If I want a truly satisfying, significant, and joyful life, have my sins been taken away by Jesus Christ? Um, it's not, do you want a significant life? Well, have you, do you attend church? It's not that. Or have you been baptized? It's not that. Not that any of those things are wrong. Or did you ever walk forward at a meeting or pray a prayer? And again, nothing's wrong with those things, but, but John just really nails it. He says, have you? Are you? your sins taken away by Christ. Because he says in verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Do you see now from John 15 how they're, they're just not congruent at all? You can't abide in Christ and keep on sinning because the secret to abiding is obeying. Not obeying out of works and obligation, but it's obeying because you love. Obeying is loving. It's because you love Jesus that you obey. If Jesus was sinless and he came into the world to take away our sins, how then can sin be cherished and continued in if a person is truly abiding in Christ? He's, John is saying it's impossible. Those two things just don't go together. And again, please understand, I am not saying that what John is saying is that you can never sin. He uses the present tense here that you are continuing in this sin, that you continue in a lifestyle of sin. Is that real clear? I, please don't leave thinking Jeff said, Jeff said if you ever sin, you can't be a Christian. I'm not saying I, I'm saying if you're saying you don't, the truth isn't even in you. Okay, so if you think you can live the Christian life without sinning, in the words of John Calvin, good luck. That was supposed to sort of be a joke. <laughs> um, you know, there, there are people, there, there are, I know a lot of Christians, folks, a lot of Christians who, in a lot of areas of their life, they give this over, they give that over, you know, and, and they, they're dealing with sin in their life, but there might be an area that they just continually struggle in. Uh, I, so I'm not saying, well, you can't be... Christian because you're struggling in that area. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying because in your heart, you want victory over that area. You're not given over to a lifestyle of sin. It's like you're, you're, you're asking Jesus. You're constantly asking Jesus uh, to give you that victory. You're like the Romans 6. I constantly do what I don't want to do. I, I don't do what I want to do, and I, don't, I do what I don't want to do. You know, you're in, that, you're in that mode in a certain area of your life. I, I beg you, be transparent about that. That's, that's one of the reasons, the beauties of a community group is that, you know, you can be honest. That's the reason you have accountability groups because you can really be honest. You can be vulnerable here. You can have somebody else pray for you and, and help you and counsel you. And, and I would even urge you, there's some, some extremely good, intuitive counselors who can help and, and get help. If you're a believer and you're struggling in, in some area, get help. I have a very dear friend who is struggling with PTSD. And um, 
I mean, I've talked to him. We studied the Bible, went through scripture after scripture after scripture. And, and so finally he, he saw a, a young lady. She was a, she's a psychiatrist at University of Iowa. Uh, went to Parkview for years, Janetta Tanzi. And she is so incredibly intuitive. And he said, Jeff, in 30 minutes, she was able to uncover what I was wrestling with, the, the issue, and how to get to the bottom of it. In 30 minutes, I had spent hours and hours and hours with this person. So get help, okay, if there's an area that you're, that you're struggling with. The, the point is, fellowship with a sinless Savior and a lifestyle of sin, a, I'm saying a lifestyle of sin, is absolutely mutually contradictory. So he deals with the problem of sin, but he also now deals with the source of sin. Uh, and he does that by destroying or destroying the devil's works. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, here it is, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Remember, so there's two things. Verse 5, the reason he appeared is to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And now again, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If you've ever taken the Greek language, you know, in any language you have to parse verbs. And so if you've ever taken the Greek language, uh, you know you have to parse luo. Luo, luois, loe, luomen, luete, luusen. So it's, it's a very common word. And it's the word here he translates to destroy, but it's the word to loose. He's loosened us from the works and the power of the devil. He's destroyed. He's, he's loosened it. He's unshackled us from it. And so in his first coming, he he's not only sets captives free, he, he looses, us, looses us from the power and the control of the devil so that we're enabled to live very differently now. So he says in verse 9, no one born of God is committed to this lifestyle, practice, the practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And so he's been loosed from the power of the devil. He's been given a whole new um, power source. So the passage is meant to give us assurance, but it's also meant to caution us just in case, like it's Paul in 2 Corinthians, uh, we need to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith, but also to give us a great deal of encourage, encouragement. So the, the point of the passage is he wants all of us, John, uh, throughout all of his writings, uh, Jesus, of course, wants us to have truly significant and satisfying lives that are filled with joy. And that has to come through the Savior who's given for these two purposes to take away their to take away our sins and in him there is no sin. So the Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God, God becomes a human being. He comes to earth. He goes to a cross. He, pay, he lives a perfect life, and he, and he pays the price that we deserve for our sin so we can be loosed not only from the, our sin, but loosed from the power of the devil. And then we are then free to live 
an entirely new life if we put our faith and our trust in him. Uh, he gives us the grace uh, to live a whole life for him. So let's all stand together, and I'm going to close with prayer, and then we're going to close by singing. Uh, the, the cross is absolutely absolutely essential for our lives in Christ. So let me pray and then we'll sing um, when I survey the wondrous cross together. Oh Lord Jesus, um, we want to thank you. Thank you for uh, the first time that you came. The first time that you came, you came clearly to take away our sins, but also to destroy the works of the devil, to loose us from that power. And then Lord, you're going to come back. You're going to come back a second time. And then we will see you and we're going to be like you and we're going to be encouraged and motivated right now today we're going to be motivated to prepare lord for it's only when we really know you is that we're really going to come to the point where we love you and when we love you and grow in that point of loving you that's when we are going to want not out of obligation, not out of the law, not out of works, but we're going to desire and want to obey you. And when we obey you, that's when we abide in you. And when we abide, then we begin to bear fruit, fruit that will result in a fully satisfying life that's filled with joy and not only gives confidence, but also offers proof, not only to our own hearts, but also to those around us, that we are followers of the living Jesus. We thank you for the cross, and thank you for the life that we can have in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.